Buenos días, familia. Buenos días, buenos días. We're going to get there. Uh, my name is Misa. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. We'll get there. My name is Misael Gonzalez. If we haven't met yet, I'm so grateful to be here. I'm one of the pastors here as well. But most of my time is spent in Tulsa. So it's an honor and a privilege just to hang out with you guys whenever I can. Uh, our senior pastor, Chris, is in Tulsa right now preaching over there. So that's really cool. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but next month is like my two-year anniversary here, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of nice. I'll talk to you. Really, I just consider it the month of celebration when, like, my Facebook followers, like, doubled in size. Like, that's what I say. Because when I got here, like, all of you want to be my Facebook friend. And I was like, okay, you know, so, like, doubled in size is, is incredible. Uh, so I'm just great. I'm grateful for that. Thank you for making me popular. Um, so, you know, a lot of times when I come here, you guys are asking me, Misaed, like, tell us about the mission church. Like, what is La Misión Iglesia doing? Like, tell us stories, give us stats. And it's like, well, okay, I'll give you some. And uh, really what I want to do is I want to show you a picture that really goes with the sermon this morning, but also just gives you some context of what's happening in Tulsa. And so here's a picture that I want you to see. And this picture right here means so much to me. And I want to just show you why. So on the screens, I don't know if you can tell, uh, it's a little bit blurry, but um, the screens have English and Spanish because this was during Easter. And we had a fully bilingual service uh, during Easter. So I preach in English and in Espanol all at the same time. So just going back and forth, which is super fun. Um, in this picture, you can see some musicians. You can see a new vocalist that we have that God has provided. Uh, so I'm so grateful for that. In this picture, you can see a couple more to the right. So one that has her hands up like this. And then her husband's actually to her right. That's a new family from Nicaragua that like showed up to Tulsa, found our church. And that was their first time there. So that was super cool. I was like, man, we sponsor children from Nicaragua. Like, that's awesome. Um, but then this couple right here, this man and this woman right here, um, are so dear to me. They are um, just a transient couple, a homeless couple um, that I've known for almost a year now. And I remember when I first met them, um, the man was kind of in a tough spot. And so we talked and we talked and we talked. And um, this guy's a believer, which is amazing. And uh, so he's a believer, and we were just talking for a long time. But it was about six or eight months ago, um, he got into some trouble, and he went to jail. And so I'm sitting there, and I get the mail, and uh, I see that I have a letter from him from jail. And I was like, oh, wow, I got mail. And so I looked at it, and I read it, and he was like, hey, Misael, here's what I did. Man, pray for me. Man, this is just what God is doing in my life. So I wrote back and I said, hey, man, I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm with you. Our church is with you. So I sent it, and he sent another letter back. And I said, okay, cool. So I read it, and in his letter, he's just telling me, he goes, Misael, I think God is using this time to really work in me. Uh, he said, God is using this time to mold me, to forge me, to purify me. God is giving me like a new heart and a new mind and a new purpose in my life. And, and I want to read to you what he said, and I'm going to quote him here. He goes, Misael, I no longer want to continue to poison myself with sin, but I want to be purified by my Savior. And so as I look at this picture, I'm like, you have two people who can't speak to each other worshiping the same God in the same place. God is moving, and it's like, Wow. We get to see that together. So I share that with you as well because we're kind of in this new series called Forged. And uh, we're going to go back into our, our time in First Peter together. 
Um, but this series in Forge, I think, is going to be really important for us because I want us to encourage, encourage us to do what my friend did that you saw in the picture. You see, maybe you haven't done anything that has made you go to jail. Maybe you have and I just don't know. <laughs> but maybe you haven't gone to jail. But here's the thing. I think we can learn from my friend and begin to try to identify in our lives what am I poisoning myself with? What are the things in my life that I'm putting in that's really feeding the desires of the flesh rather than feeding the desires of the spirit? What, what do we need to do to just humble ourselves before the Lord and realize that we need him to purify us, to forge us, to mold us more like him? So really my, my prayer this morning is, is pretty simple, that we would identify in us, like, what is that poison? So, like, how does sin poison us? I also hope and my pray that you would see that God purifies us as well. And then I also pray that we would understand that we need to be forged to stand against sin. We need to be forged to stand against sin. And so I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And if you don't know where that's at, that's okay. You can use the table of contents. No worries. No need to be embarrassed. So as you turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, I just want to kind of give you some context of what does this word forged mean? Like we don't use that word very often. And so what I did is I looked up in Google. So here's some, here's some definitions here. Here's what forged means. To make or shape metal by heating it in a fire or a furnace and hammering it to create a new relationship or condition. To forge is to mold something in an intense way. And then here's kind of like my little brief definition of forge. To build up by striking out the impurities. So what is forged? To build up by striking out the impurities. You see, when we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2 for a little bit, it all talks about growing spiritually. And, and you see, sometimes when we grow spiritually, it's not the funnest thing in the world because we're being forged. The things, the impurities are being striked out in our life. And what I want you to remember is that becoming part of the family of God is not like a one-time decision. Becoming part of the family of God is a lifelong discipleship where we're becoming more and more like Jesus. You can say it this way, is that after we put our faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. And then we are baptized as a symbol of what has happened inside. But then we have to be continuously forged by God. Continuously made more and more like him. Some people call it sanctification, which is this really big churchy word to say, man, God is shaping you and molding you to be more like him. And this process is a divine process for us. And it's divine because it really sets our path straight to live a life in Christ and for Christ. So I want you to go ahead and stand up with me. We're going to read together. So 1 Peter chapter 2. But in order to get the context that we need to for chapter 2, I want to start reading in verse 22 of chapter 1. So just like right there. So it says this. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, imperishable, uh, imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. 
For all people are like grass and all the, glory, all the glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. And then verse 1 says this, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Verse 4 says this, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be holy priesthood, offering sacrificial sacrifices accepted to God through Christ Jesus. For in scripture it says, See, I lay stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to, now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Now listen to this. It says this. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. This is the word of the Lord. And praise be to God. Amen. So I say this every time that I preach because I don't want anyone to miss it. But if someone were to ask you, hey, what did you learn at church today? And I usually go something like this where I pretend like I'm sitting down. And imagine you're sitting down at lunch and someone says, hey, what did you learn at church today? Well, you can tell them this super encouraging phrase, okay? And I want you to write this down. Sin poisons us. Sin poisons us. That's the main idea of, that we're going to be seeing this morning. Sin poisons us. I want you to think about how we cannot escape sin. Sin poisons us. We are born into sin, into a sinful world. And the thing about sin and that kind of poison is that it has a 100% death rate. 100%. And the only antidote to this kind of poison is Jesus and Jesus himself. He is the only one that can save us from, the, from this sin. But here's the interesting part and in the dynamic of where we live on this earth is that because of Jesus, we have been saved from sin. But we haven't yet been saved from a sinful world. So we live in this already not yet kind of paradigm of like we still live in this sinful world, this imperfect world, and we will not be in a 100% sinless, restored, amazing world until Jesus comes back the second time. So we won't be there until then. But I want you to recognize this because I, I just know there's probably some new believers here. Like we've had some baptisms, which is amazing. So if you're a new believer and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus and right now you feel like you're still struggling with sin, like you're still struggling with temptation and you're just still struggling with all that and you're like, what's wrong with me? Can I just tell you that you're not alone? You're not alone in that. That's normal. But keep fighting. Keep depending on Jesus. Keep praying and saying, Holy Spirit, help me. Because the reason we read verses 22 to 25 of chapter 1 is because we see that we are called to fight and to live lives that are holy, live lives that are worthy of the high calling of Jesus, lives that are all about him. And so we kind of live in this world of like sin, but also we know that the Spirit of God is in us. 
So it almost feels like you have like two dogs in the fight. So let me just show you Galatians chapter 5 real quick to kind of demonstrate how we have these two dogs in the fight. So Galatians chapter 5 verse 13, it says, You, brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another in love. Verses 15 to 18 continues. This is why I say dog. It says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit contrary to the flesh. They conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. There's these two dogs in the fight. And this actually kind of reminds me of my grandpa. And uh, my grandpa had some really interesting sayings. He was from Mexico. So sometimes he said things like, I just didn't understand. And so I played sports and I played basketball and baseball and some other sports. And I remember one time I, I like walked in from a game and my grandpa looks at me and he goes, Misael, eres un perro amarillo con la mocha. And I was like, huh? I was like, what does that mean? I said, What'd you say? He goes, eres un perro amarillo con la mocha. You know what that translates to? That literally translates to a yellow dog without a tail. I was like, abuelito, time out. What, is, what do you mean I'm a, I'm a yellow dog without a tail? He goes, oh, sorry, sorry. Let me tell you the story. It's an expression in Mexico. I said, yeah, well, it better be good because I just don't get it. And he goes, okay. So in Mexico, this expression happens because um, there's these dog fights in Mexico. And so there is this one time, there's this yellow dog without a tail, and they fed him really, really well. And so they always said that because they fed him so well, the dog could fight so well, so the dog always won. So when I call you a perro amarillo con la mocha, what I'm trying to say is that you're fed well, and you did a good job. You're really good. And I said, okay, then I will embrace being a yellow dog without a tail. Amazing. Great. Thank you. And I share that with you because it's it just funny to just illustrate how the dog could fight so well because of what he was consuming. And so it kind of leads me to ask the question, what are we consuming? What are we consuming? And that's actually the question I just want to share with you from verses 1 to 3. So that's actually our first point from verses 1 to 3. What are we consuming? You see, we look at these first three verses and it's obvious to know and obvious to see that sin poisons us and that we shouldn't feed these things like malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all of these things. And, you know, you might read this in the English where it says rid yourselves and you might think it's like a one-time thing. Like, oh, rid yourselves like one time. But if you look at the Greek, it's actually really interesting. In the Greek, it has this context of like continuously throw away these things continuously throw away this malice and envy and, and, and hypocrisy, continue to throw these things away. Like get rid of it, not one time, but daily. Like daily get rid of these things. And so you see these attitudes and these actions. And, you know, these attitudes and actions are actually a little bit different than Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. They're a little bit different because it doesn't just poison us. But we have to remember that Peter is talking to a church. And what he's saying is like, when you do these things, it's going to poison your relationship with others. It's going to poison the relationships in the church. And he's like, I'm trying to make it clear to you that if you consume these things, it's going to destroy what I just talked about in verses 22 to 25. 
It's going to destroy that, you, that, that whole aspect of living holy. It's going to destroy your love for each other. And I don't know if you guys are like me. Sometimes I, I go through these words like malice and stuff, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool, 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 cool. And I just keep reading. Because I don't remember the last time I looked at someone and said, hey, you have malice in your eyes. I mean, you might, but I have not. And so what I want to do is I want to define these words for you because I think they're good for us. So malice, this word malice, this word means to desire, to cause pain, injury, or distress. It's an attitude similar to hatred, the desire to inflict pain, harm, or injury on another person. Check this out. It includes the holding of grudges and acting out on those grudges that we have against someone else. That's what malice is. The next word that we see is deceit. Deceit. Do we have any people who fish here? Do we have any fishermen or women? Let me see those hands. Come on, don't be scared. Don't be scared because I want to call you out. Okay. Do you know that you are the definition of deceit? Because in the Greek, literally this word deceit means bait for fish. That means that every time, you know, you, you get your hook and you put a worm or whatever else you want on there and you throw it in the water, you know what you're doing? You have that in there and those fish think that they have food for the day. Those fish are like swimming around saying, hey, look, we finally found something. And they go and guess what? Not today. Not, not, not the food we thought today. So what you're doing as fishermen and fisherwomen is really you're lying to those little fishies. Like you guys are a bunch of liars, these little fishies. Like that's deceit. Like you are the definition of deceit. And so this definition is like trickery or, or deceiving someone. And if we want to be like super tough, it refers to deliberate dishonesty. Deliberate dishonesty. Anybody? Anything less than speaking the full and honest truth. Two-faced. That's deceit. Hypocrisy is a word that we, we know pretty well, uh, but I'll just kind of give you some definitions here. It's the hiding of interior wickedness under the appearance of virtue. Back in the day, they used this word hypocrisy as an actor. Think about that one for a little bit. An actor, one who concealed themselves or hid the true motives. The next word here we see is envy. This word envy, it's this desire to possess what belongs to someone else. But check this out. Desire to possess what belongs to someone else with resentful discontent. With resentful discontent. Envy is this feeling of displeasure produced by witnessing or hearing of the advantage or prosperity of someone else. Let me ask you this, and I really want you to answer this. What fuels envy? Like, what do you guys think fuels envy? Like, somebody shout some stuff out. Jealousy? Possessions? What else fuels envy? Pride? Those are good. So think about that. What fuels envy? Here's what fuels envy, including all those things. Comparison and discontent. Comparison and discontent fuel envy. And you see, whenever we are comparing ourselves, whenever we feel discontent, we kind of forget to say something really simple, and this is it. God, thank you. God, I'm really grateful you see, because we're so focused on comparing ourselves and being discontent, we just forget to say, Lord, thank you for everything that I have. 
And, you know, I've had people come up to me and say, Misael, I'm just really content or discontent with my relationships. Misael, I'm really discontent with this. I'm really discontent with this situation. Misael, I'm really discontent with my walk with the Lord. And I, I just ask them a really simple question. I ask them, I say, okay, have you thanked the Lord? Have you said, hey, God, thanks. The reason I ask that question is because I truly believe that gratitude is the enemy of envy. Gratitude is the enemy of comparison. Gratitude is the, is the enemy of discontent. And so we see that we shouldn't have this envy. We should rid daily ourselves of this envy with gratitude. The next thing that we see is slander. And not just, not just one kind of slander, but slander of every kind. I didn't know there's more than one. Slander of every kind. You see, we're really, really good at picking up on slander. We see it in James chapter 4 um, all the time. But slander can be defined as like an evil report or speaking against someone. Or there's another definition of assaulting somebody's character. Assaulting somebody's character or reputation. You see, my friends, I ask this because I really just want to ask you, what are you consuming? What are, what are we consuming that's poisoning ourselves from the inside, that's poisoning our relationships? And I want to ask you this because these are the kind of things, this is the kind of poison that, that slowly kills. It's the kind of poison that will slowly kill your home, slowly kill your relationships, and slowly kill our churches. I don't know if you've noticed, but our churches are experts at division and not very good at healthy biblical multiplication. They divide and they divide rather than saying, no, the biblical ways is multiply and multiply and multiply. But these are the things that slowly kill and cause division. And you see, as believers in Jesus, we need to continuously throw these things away. Why? Because they're, they're, they're not nourishing us. They're, they're not growing us. That's why we see in, in verses 2 and 3 that we should crave pure spiritual milk. Because that is, what, that is what's going to grow us. Because that is what really is so, so sweet to us. You know, part of our job is to identify what is that poison in my life. And so you might be in here and you might be a non-believer, someone who's not a Christian. And you might be saying, Misael, but who cares? Seriously, man. Bro, like, who, who cares about this? Here's, here's what I hope you hear from me. Is that the grace of God is so much sweeter. Like, I, I get it, how, how it feels and how sweet it feels to, like, say lies about people or to make up these things about people. I get how sweet it can be to, like, hate someone and, and just want to hit them or seek revenge or to spread secrets and lies about someone. I get it. But the grace of God is so much sweeter. And I just hope that everyone would, would see verse 3. And I long for everyone to see verse 3 and say, you know what? I just wish that all of you could taste and see and experience that the Lord is good. That what Psalms 34, 8 says is so true. That we can taste and experience that the Lord is so good. And, you know, I don't know what the best thing that you've ever ate is in your life. But for me, the sweetest, most savory thing I've ever ate is a tres leches cake. Anybody know what tres leches cake is? Come on, let me see those hands as well so I know who the real people are. All right. 
Trelleches cake is literally my favorite thing ever. Like whenever I'm like, you know, in my deathbed and I probably have a couple more breaths in me, like please feed me trelleches cake. Like I want to die eating trelleches cake. It is just so amazing and so sweet. So think of that or think of honey. Man, God is even so much sweeter than that. And when I think about this and when we think about this together, I just want you to grasp this. So I hope you can just write this down. Here's what I want you to write down. That the taste of grace is sweeter than the taste of sin. The taste of grace is so much sweeter than the taste of sin. You see, I get it. That sin can kind of taste sweet and it can be like the little sin or it can kind of be like the big sin or the kind of sin we kind of like stretch out, you know what I mean? But grace is so much sweeter than that. And so as believers, we should long to be nourished and we should crave to be nourished by the Lord and by his word. And this word crave in verse 2 really is this, this context of like desire and depend this pure spiritual milk. Because think of a baby. Think of a baby who needs this milk, not, not because they just desire it, because they depend on it as well. So we should be these people who desire and depend on this spiritual nourishment from the Lord. And you see, it's not a duty. It's something that we should long for because we grow, because we're molded, because we're forged by God himself, because we have experienced him. And we have said, I've experienced the Lord. And that is sweeter than anything else. So we've asked that question of what are you consuming? Here's the next question that I want you to write down that comes from verses four to eight. What are you becoming? Or what are we becoming? You know, what's that old saying that people say, like, you are what you what? You are what you eat. Well, in the same way spiritually, I think that's true. So what are we becoming? And we see this in verses four to eight. And I just want to ask you that question because here it's talking about how Jesus is the living stone. And that because when we are in him, we are also living stones. So that question of what are becoming is so vital for us because Jesus didn't come on this earth to build buildings. Or per se, Jesus didn't come to this earth to build holy buildings. He came to this earth to build people, to build you, to build holy people. And so Jesus is the one that is, that is building us. And I just want to give you some really cool context here. Peter is using Isaiah chapter 28 and Psalms chapter 118. And he's kind of mixing both of, you, of saying Jesus is the cornerstone and he's the capstone. And you might be asking, Misael, what does that even mean? Well, here's what's really cool what Peter is saying. He's using Psalms 118 to say that Jesus is the cornerstone, which this cornerstone back in those ancient days even in Nepal, they still use this kind of thing when I went to Nepal and I saw what they did. But this cornerstone is kind of like this foundation that establishes the design and the structure of the building. It's kind of the reference point as well where they point back to and say, hey, the cornerstone is like this and like this and like this. Okay, that's what we have to do. It establishes everything from the ground up. So that's what Peter's saying is that Peter or that Jesus is that cornerstone. But then he's saying that Jesus is the capstone. So you might be saying, and this is from Isaiah chapter 28, you might be saying, you said, what is the capstone? We know like that whole saying of like the cherry on top. Well, the capstone was kind of like that cherry on top on a building. It was like the finishing touch, like the crowning touch. So what Peter is saying is that Jesus is the cornerstone and the capstone. He's the beginning and he's the end. And everything in between finds 
its foundation, its hope, its restoration, its strength. Because Jesus is the beginning, the end, and everything in between. So that's what Jesus is saying and, and pointing to. And, and I just love this. And that's so cool. But the Bible says that people rejected this. They rejected Jesus as the cornerstone, as the living stone. And I was thinking about that word reject, rejection. I was like, what does that word really mean? To reject Jesus as the cornerstone. To reject Jesus as the living stone. Well, here's, here's a little definition for you. Rejection means to examine and reject something because of its lack of value. To reject it because you didn't see its value. So people, back in the day and today, they see Jesus. They hear about Jesus, about his life, about his ministry, about his death, his resurrection, about his glory. And they say, yeah, that doesn't have value. And they walk away. They reject it. But you see, right here in verse 4, it says, rejected by humans, but chosen by God. You see, God the Father has placed infinite value in God the Son. God the Father has placed infinite value in Jesus. And you see, I just want to take a moment and just pause right here and just say, you know, I think a lot of times I'm, I'm scared that we forget whose we are and what we are to become. I think so many times we forget the value of our salvation and the value of who Jesus is. And just to kind of demonstrate with you, I'm going to use an example with my phone. And so remember the day when you got like a new iPhone, right? So you got a new iPhone here. And uh, remember like those first couple of weeks, you kind of did one of these, like you walked in the house, right? You walked in the house and you were just like, yeah, that cost me a lot of money. So nobody touch it, kids, brother, sister, don't touch it. Right, so then a couple weeks go by. You walk in the house again. You walk in the house and you kind of like, you know, not as careful, but still, still a little bit. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, you kind of do one of these. Like you kind of walk in the house and you kind of like, makes a little bit more noise. And then for some reason, a couple weeks go by. And you walk in the house and you're just like, all right, man, hey, everybody, I'm home. <laughs> yeah, take it in, take it in. I threw my phone. I share that with you because let me ask you this. Did the phone ever really lose its value? Or did I become numb to its value? Did I become numb to its worth? Did I become numb to to what that phone is and how much it cost. You see, friends, familia, our salvation is precious. Our Jesus is precious. Let us not grow numb to what Jesus did for us. Let's not grow numb to the salvation that we have. Because I promise you, it did not lose value. I think we just kind of forgot. And so I just want to encourage us to see the value in that and understand that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, man, he's building us up as these living stones. And again, it's not a one-time decision, but it's a lifelong discipleship with him. And it's a beautiful one where he is making us more like him and purifying us because he's the only antidote to that poison called sin. He's the only one. 
And what's so cool is that not only are we these living stones, but it says that we are this holy priesthood. And you might be reading that and saying, Misael, I really don't understand what that whole holy priesthood means. Like, what does that really mean? In short, here's what it means. Is that we have a direct access to God. That we can be in this moment right now and know that the Lord lends an ear when we speak. That the Lord is, is attentive to what we have to say. And as priests, we are forged by Christ to look more like him. He purifies us from the poison. And he calls us to live lives sacrificial to him. He's like, you guys need to be a living sacrifice and live for me. And I say those things and, and I can just already hear some people say, Misael, I cannot do that. That is so hard. Like, Misael, you, you, just don't, you just don't know the sin that I have. Misael, you don't know the things that I've done. Can I just tell you, can you stop being so arrogant? Like, so many of us are so arrogant of saying, you know, my sin is too big for God. God's never seen this one. This is a new sin for God. Misael, God doesn't know. God, God doesn't understand. God doesn't care. Oh, friends, don't be so arrogant. You're not that cool. You're not that big. You're not that sinful. So let me encourage you with this. I want you to write down 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You see, it says here that we should crave and, and, and long for, like a newborn baby, Pure spiritual milk. What I love about 1 John 4.4 4 is that it says that we are little children, which I think is accurate. But then it goes on to say, now listen to this. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So in that moment of temptation, in that moment of saying, man, I don't want to dive into this sin. And remember, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The spirit of God is in you. And just let that sink in for a moment. Because that right there, my friends, familia, that strengthens us. So we're not left hopeless. We are left with so much hope. I was saying that we can be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. We can be strengthened by God. And here's what's cool is that in this passage, it doesn't say that we are a living stone. Single, singular. But we are living stones, plural. That means we are to do this together. That we're the family of God together, built together with one Lord, one church, one spirit, one mind. And so here's what I want to encourage you with. And our senior pastor, again, is in Tulsa, and he's going to encourage Tulsa with the same thing. I want to encourage you as like the mission life challenge that we're going to keep doing. The encouragement is this, is find an accountability partner. Find an accountability partner. You see, we are strengthened by God, but we've been, we've been made in such a way that we need people around us to strengthen us when we just feel like we're super, super weak. Because some of you might be saying, Misael, I've just been eating a lot of junk food. 
Meaning I've been poisoning myself with this one sin. Though I am a believer, I just keep poisoning myself. Well, that's where you need people around you that can ask you two questions. Hey, what are you consuming? And what are you becoming? What are you consuming? What are you becoming? And this reminds me of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, where it says this. It says, two are better than one, for they have a great reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will pick up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone and has no one to pick him up. Two are better than one. In those moments in my life that I needed someone to pick me up, man, my guys were there. Because those moments will come if they're not already there. But two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. So as believers, I want to encourage you with that. And maybe you're in here as someone who's not a believer, doesn't really know about this whole Christianity thing. I want to read this last part to you. So verse 7 says, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, absolutely precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And this is important right here. They stumble because they disobey the message. So maybe you're not a believer this morning and you just feel like you're like stumbling through life, you know? Just stumbling. You're like, man, I just can't catch a break. Like, I feel so lost. I feel like without purpose. I feel like I'm not loved. My friends, you have the cornerstone right in front of you right here. Jesus is right in front of you saying, man, I want to be your living stone. Like, I died for you. I raised from the grave for you. Like, I love you. Like, I am the only antidote to the poison. I'm the only one. So I just want to encourage you with that. So let's go ahead and pray together. And we'll continue. Lord Jesus, man, I'm so grateful that you didn't leave us just poisoned or that we stay poisoned. Thank you that you've provided an antidote and a way to be saved. Lord, thank you that you are the beginning and the end, the cornerstone, the capstone. Lord, I pray for my familia and my friends in front of me that know you. God, I pray that as they ask those questions of what am I consuming and, and what am I becoming, Lord, I pray that your spirit would convict them and that they would see you as precious, that they would not grow numb to their salvation, that they would not grow numb to you and just throw you that, like, like that iPhone that I threw. Lord, I pray that someone in here would grasp the reality that your grace is sweeter, that the taste of grace is sweeter than the taste of sin. Lord, I pray that they would acknowledge and embrace that they are a living stone, that they are a holy priesthood. Call to live lives that are different. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you in this room, that you would open their eyes to the reality of who you are, that you proclaim that you are our strength, our hope, 
our everlasting, our everything. And it is only by confessing the poison that we have and confessing the sin that we have and confessing you as the antidote, you as the Lord, as the King, as the Savior of our lives, that we can be saved. God, I praise you because you've made yourself known to us. I pray all this in Jesus' name.